0: Wow, Newbury, good to see you this morning. Good to see you. Very, very, very thankful for Pastor Michael allowing me to come and to join the elders in this series of the book of Galatians. I'm thankful uh, for a number of reasons, but one reason why I'm thankful is is because I've never preached in Galatians chapter 3. And so studying Galatians chapter 3 was ministering to my soul. Now I can just share with you just a few of the things uh, that the Lord and I had communed over uh, in preparation for this uh, conversation that we'll have in Galatians 3, starting at verse 7. Uh, is everyone doing well? How y'all doing? Y'all good? good. Looking good? The Lord is good. I see uh, some babies are on the way. Moms are pregnant. Some have babies on the way. I've received news. And so that's a good thing. Amen. You are exercising your, your authority with the creation mandate, praise God, your dominion. Go be fruitful and multiply. And uh, God increases the Lord's church that way as well, amen. So teach them the gospel. <laughs> but in Galatians chapter 3, starting at verse 7, Galatians chapter 3, starting at verse 7, uh, we'll read to verse 14 and I want to apologize in advance I I typically travel with the NIV uh in my car and I left my Holman Christian Standard I left my CSV rather at, at the office because I studied with that at the office and this is the one I had in my car so don't 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 beat me up amen Michael was going to give me his, but then I said, Michael, this one is marked uh, for the sermon, so I have to use it, amen. That's my excuse, right? (laughs) Galatians chapter 3, verse 7. Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith. And announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. As it is written, curses everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Clearly, no one who relies on the law is justified before God because the righteous will live by faith. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, it says, the person who does these things will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written. Curses everyone who is hung on a pole. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. This morning, I want to place a tag upon this text, the gospel according to Abraham. The gospel according to Abraham. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the gospel of Jesus Christ. We thank you for saving the Apostle Paul and allowing him to become an eyewitness of the resurrection of Christ. We thank you for the exposure that he had to the Old Testament, to the Hebrew scriptures, to the Bible, even prior to coming to know Christ, studying the word of God as as one trained as a Pharisee, God, his zeal for the Old Testament scriptures gave him the ability once the spirit of Christ indwelled him and regenerated him to give us clarity on how to understand the Old Testament in light of the resurrection of Christ. And so, God, we thank you that as we read the book of Galatians, we are reading a letter from a brother who was concerned about the body of Christ, that the body was shirking back to ways that would lead to destruction. And through this particular letter, he was writing, challenging them to get back to grace. Because the grace of our God is past finding out, but the grace of our God has delivered us from the penalty, the power, and one day the very presence of sin. And so, Lord, we thank you that Paul was loving enough to write this letter and that you, through your persevering power, have preserved this letter so that we can read and listen to our brother Paul and to the best of our ability say what Paul meant as he wrote it. Because to the extent that we can explain what Paul meant, we have preached your word. And so, Father, I pray through the power of the Spirit, make much of Christ. May he be exalted even now. In Jesus' name, amen, and thank God. The gospel according to Abraham. Now, I'm thankful for many of the faithful books or works that I've had the opportunity to read throughout the years on the gospel. I I love those small works that are written, like the one by Greg Gilbert entitled, What Is... The gospel. Greg Gilbert, our brother right here in Louisville, pastoring at Third Avenue Baptist Church, helped us to see that the gospel of Jesus Christ was about understanding that first that God is sovereign, that he's the creator of the universe. He's in control of this world and that because we have a creator, a sovereign Lord who has created humanity, we have fallen into sin. So we start with God, and then we see that man is fallen. Yes, we have dignity because we're created in the image of God, but as a result of the fall, every aspect of our being is tainted by sin. We are morally corrupt. We're morally depraved, y'all. But then he explains to us that that there's a need for Christ or a Savior, and this Jesus Christ will die in the sins of And die for the sins of the world so that we might have life and have life more abundantly through him by faith as a result of the father's grace mediated by the spirit. All these things, he says, requires someone to do something. You must repent. You must run to Christ and believe by faith in the truth that the Father has sent the Son by the Spirit, and you can be saved forever for free. The gospel is about grace through faith, and it is a gift of God. So it requires a response. And what he explains is that you start with God, you have man, you have Christ, and there's always a response so that when we hear the word of God preached, we must respond to God's word. We must do something about it. There are other books that I've appreciated. I know that a lot of people don't like talking about C.J. Mahaney these days, but, but I appreciated years ago reading his, his cross-centered life, and in it he explains that the gospel of Jesus Christ, living a life that's dominated by the cross, is about re- realizing that you are a recipient of grace. As I've said before, we're nothing more than a grace case. We have received God's grace so that we can live differently in this world. And so when we think about the grace of God, we understand that biblical grace teaches us to reject at least three things. One thing biblical grace teaches us to reject is condemnation, believing that you have zero value before the Lord. Biblical grace teaches us to reject conceit or believing that you have ultimate value, that you're the best thing since sliced bread. We We rebuke condemnation, but we also rebuke conceit because we know that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But biblical grace also causes us to reject carelessness. In other words, the belief that I don't care how I'm valued by others, and so I can do whatever I want to do. Who cares what you think about me? See, biblical grace says we reject that as well. Because there's a technical name for that mindset that I can do whatever I want to do as a result of God's grace. And that name could be called antinomianism, that you are living life against the law because you think that the law is bad and wicked and evil and yucky. But remember, the law of God was revealed unto Moses so that Paul says in Romans 8 that the law is holy. The law is good. The law is what? Spiritual. So when you think about the law, do not think about the law of God as if it is something that is bad. Think about the law of God as if it was something that was revealed unto Moses so that the people of Israel could live and experience wellness or the abundant life within the Old Testament economy. But what we discover about this law, as we read through the book uh, of, of Leviticus, as we read through Deuteronomy, as we work our way throughout the Old Testament prophets, what we discover is that this particular law was such a high standard that none of us could live up to it, right? And so the law, if you're looking to the law to justify you before a holy God, you are actually looking towards, guess what? destruction, because the law will expose our sin, but the law cannot make you right before a perfect and a holy God because all the law does is indicts us as sinners. It shows us who we really are. I don't mean to meddle, but I do need to meddle, amen? Because there's some good sounding songs out there, y'all, but they're just not biblical. Y'all know what I'm talking about. One sounds something like this. He saw the best in me, and you know, everybody like, yeah, get the ugly face. You know, when everyone else around me could only see the worst in me, y'all remember that? And, and that particular song sounds good, but the problem is God didn't see the best in me. What God actually saw was me. And by his grace and through faith, when I attribute faith because I believe what God has said about me, that I'm a sinner and deserve hell, but Jesus Christ paid my bill, that particular grace is what ultimately saves us. And it's from God. So instead of saying that he saw the best in me when everyone else around me could only see the worst in me, we should say that he saw the best in thee, in Jesus, in Jesus. Now, everyone else around me can only see what I was created to be. Now, make the song biblical, y'all, because I was created to be a servant of Christ, and through the Spirit of Christ, now I can live a new life. Is that right? I think that's what Paul is arguing in these verses, verses 7 through 14. I think what Paul is telling us is that biblical grace says, I am a sinner but I am forgiven because of the blood sacrifice of Christ. I am loved by God in unimaginable ways. He will never leave me nor forsake me. Biblical grace says that I am a child of God, an heir of the promise of God. I am of the seed of Abraham. That's what biblical grace teaches us. It is based upon the sovereignty and the sovereign grace of a holy God. Who's decided within the council of his own will to elect his love upon us so that we can only brag about Jesus and never brag about ourselves? Y'all, this is a summary of Ephesians chapter 1 and Ephesians chapter 2. Stopping at verse 10, beloved. And so when we see these things, we begin to read this section as we're getting back to grace And in this section in Galatians chapter 3, verses 7 through 14, Paul confronts the false view that right standing before God is based on our ability to keep the law. That's what he's doing. He is confronting the false view that right standing before God is based upon our ability to keep the law. That is a false view. We are not right before God because we can keep the law, because the law is designed to show us that we cannot keep it. Paul continues to warn the Galatians that legalism, and when I say legalism, legalism means that you are looking to your works. You're looking to yourself, your self-righteousness in order to justify you before God. You look to your devotional life. You look to your church life. You look to your ability to pursue the spiritual disciplines as a means of grace to justify you before God. Beloved, if you are looking to yourself, you are on your way to, somebody finish it. Hell yeah. Amen. Amen. We look to Christ, and we understand that what Paul is showing us is that legalism will lead to destruction. There's still a way that seems right unto a man or to a woman, but the end is destruction. Do not look to yourself. Look to the Lord Jesus Christ. This is what this text is teaching us. So Paul also argues that the children of Abraham become heirs of the promise not by they come, become heirs of the promise by faith, not by what works. We are saved by grace through faith. It is a gift of God, not by works. And so what's my big idea for this text this morning? Here's the big idea. Stay with me now because y'all know we're going into basketball season. And so the big idea for this text is this, Abraham's posture will get you on God's roster. Did you hear that? Abraham's posture will get you on God's roster. Now, some of y'all are saying, well, I ain't into basketball. Tell me what you mean by that. First of all, Abraham's posture, as we'll discover in this text, was that he exercised faith in the promise of God. That's his posture. He exercised faith in the promise of God. To be on God's roster is this. When you have basketball season, you have a a tryout, do you not? And and there are a lot of people who might be new to the school, and they come and they try out. There are other athletes who might think, hey, it's it's guaranteed that I'm going to be on the squad this year. So instead of them taking tryouts seriously, what they decide to do is just, just, you know, just wing it, right? But if you have an individual who can show up on the court and work extremely hard during the tryouts, they'll get on the roster. Are y'all listening to me? Because they have proven to the coach by their effort and by their works and by their ingenuity that they are worthy to be on the team. It's all about them. But the difficulty is, how would you feel if you were a player? And then at the end of the season, right before you were getting ready for next year, you were the MVP player based upon your effort and your works. And then you discovered the next year doing tryouts, there was someone after tryouts had finished, there was a guy in the stand who knew he didn't have any game, so he just stayed in the stands and watched. But at the end of the season, the coach looked to this guy who had been at at the tryouts, this guy who'd been at the games, in the stands, and then instead of awarding you the MVP based on your works, the coach looked to this guy in the stands and said, come here. And the young man in the stands walked down, and then the coach declared upon this young man, you are the MVP based upon his work, not your work. How would other people feel about that? They'd say it's on wouldn't it? But the reality is, beloved, all of us will be considered the MVP in the sight of God. We're on his roster, not because we have done the work on the court, but because Jesus Christ has done the work for us on the court so that now by faith we're declared righteous and we're on the roster of God. So Paul is is confronting this belief. He's confronting the fact that people are looking to themselves to declare themselves righteous as opposed to exercising faith. He is doing battle with the Judaizers. And so what Paul teaches us, and this is why I love Paul, even as I prayed, Paul teaches us that we should read the Bible, namely the Old Testament, like Jesus. And guess what? And his apostles. We should constantly seek to read the Bible like Jesus and the apostles read the Bible, the Old Testament. And so what Paul is doing here is Paul is confronting the Judaizers with the understanding that they put a lot of of strength into their understanding of the law of the Old Testament. But he's going to use the very principles of the Old Testament and the main character in the Old Testament, Abraham, the father of faith, in order to show them that they have missed the Old Testament. Are y'all tracking with me here? He's going to say, you know what, I know you're reading the book, but, but you better take another look because you are missing what God has designed through our father, Abraham. And so what he does here is he connects the Old Testament truth that Abraham was declared or counted righteous because of his faith. In verse 7, he says, understand then. And now when he says understand then, remember, this is inferential. So he's pushing us back up to verse 6. So also Abraham believed God, and it was credit to him as righteousness. He was placed on the roster. He was given the MVP because of faith. It was credit to him as righteousness. And then he says, he's pushing us back up to see verse 6, and then he says that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Verse 8, Scripture foresaw that God would justify, declare righteous the Gentiles by faith. Now, the beauty is he's he's challenging these Judaizers to say, do not put Gentiles under the stipulations of the law. He says it's not because they, they exercise this particular ceremonial uh, uh, uh a day or, or ceremonial law it's not because they are being circumcised it's not because they're choosing not to eat or drink or taste this or that that's not what's going to justify them. He says, do not put them into the bondage of the law because this will not justify them before a holy God. And when Paul is writing here, Paul is saying that that when you look to Abraham, Abraham from the very beginning, shows us that the promise of God is always based on faith. To become the people of God was always based on the faith principle. Are y'all tracking with me here? Think about the gospel, right? Paul says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God which brings forth salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, but also to the Greek, to the Jew and the Gentile alike. And then he says, and in it, namely the gospel, the righteousness of God has been what? Revealed by faith. It's been revealed by faith, right? So that the just will live by his faith. So God shows us in Romans 1, 16 and 17 that people who are people of faith will live by that faith that has been given to us by God. Are y'all with me, beloved? This is what Paul is, he argued that in Romans, and we see Paul doing that now by pointing towards Abraham. Abraham was credited righteousness based on his faith in God, not by his works. And so he begins to connect these Old Testament truths, truths like Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, and write those down. We won't walk through all of these. The Genesis 12, 1 through 3, where we see God calling Abraham from Ur the Chaldeans, and he promises Abraham land, seed, and blessing, Genesis 12, 1 through 3. Genesis 18, 18, we see once again God calling Abraham. Let me turn there because we're listening to the gospel according to Abraham. Let's go to Genesis and listen to our brother Moses teach us. And what does Moses say in Genesis 18, 18? Abraham will surely become a great, powerful nation, and all nations on the earth will be blessed through him. That is blessing, land, sea, blessing. Are y'all tracking with me, beloved? Hope your Bible's are open. Because <laughs> he says here that this blessing will come because of faith in Abraham. Genesis 22, verse 18, what does he say to us? Listening to the gospel according to Abraham and through your offspring, namely Abraham, all the nations on the earth will be blessed. Somebody say bless. Because you have obeyed him. You have walked by faith. You know, when I was coming to, to worship this morning, I had to put on the old Fred Hammond CD, Spirit of David. Now, I was listening to some old friend because I remembered I'm blessed in the city. I'm blessed in the field, not because of my works, but because he called me righteous. I'm a brand new creature. By grace, you've been saved. It's a grace thing. <laughs> yeah. My name has been changed. It's a grace thing. Amen. And so I'm listening to this worshiping, uh, listening to Fred, because I realized, Dad, Fred, you would point me back to Galatians 3. Are y'all tracking with me? Yeah. He saw the best in me. No, no, he didn't. But it is a grace thing, beloved. Just in case y'all think I'm dissing gospel music, your boy listening to gospel music. Amen. Y'all not laughing. Amen. Y'all good? Y'all good? Y'all like, oh, watch out now, Curtis. So notice what he does. He says, the scripture foresaw. And as he says, it's not. he says that it announced the gospel in advance to Abraham. Now, can I ask y'all a question? Y'all mind talking to me? Y'all know I love asking questions. If the gospel, the good news was announced in advance to Abraham, uh, was, was the law instituted at this time when the gospel was being announced to Abraham? Was the law instituted at that time that the gospel was being announced to Abraham. What's the answer to that? And, and you know that it was not instituted because the law was instituted by God through whom? Moses. So now, so now, it seems to me that since the law was not instituted at this time, perhaps I need to listen to what Paul is trying to teach me here. And what Paul is trying to teach me here, that in, in the mind of God, he was always making faith the priority and the principle for those who would experience the blessing. Are y'all seeing this now? Y'all, don't, 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 just because we Baptists, don't be afraid of faith, y'all. Be like, oh, no, that's... Mm. We are people of faith, y'all know that? Yeah. And being people of faith means that it really is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. When we can't see it, we still go after it because God told us to. That, that's, that's what it means to be distinctly Christian. We are people of faith, y'all. Sometimes social media can do great things for us. Sometimes it does very dangerous things for us. It makes us put our confidence in the flesh. Like we feel like we have to have enough Twitter followers in order to be considered valued or significant. Facebook friends in order to find our significance in this world. Or if we want to promote the ministry that the Lord has given us, perhaps we need to uh, be stronger marketers through social media. And I'm not against that, y'all. I work in communications, okay? But I am against this when we place our confidence in it. And we spend less time in prayer and more time trying to make sure that these tools are working on our behalf. Paul says we are people of faith. We experience the blessing because of the promise that God had given unto Abraham. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. The father of faith is now making us children by God's grace through the power of the Holy Spirit. We are now called the children of faith. We're sons and daughters of Abraham. Look at verse 10. Because now Paul is about to rebuke this mindset. And he says, for all who rely on the works of the law are under a what? They're under a curse. Now, I don't know about you, but when I, when I hear the Apostle Paul saying that a certain disposition and action is going to bring forth a curse, I'm not just going to be like, oh, man, that's not a big deal. Now, I, I'm, I probably think we should slow up and say, what do you mean, Paul, that they're under a curse? Because that's pretty significant. If individuals who rely on the works of the law are under a curse, what do you mean, Paul, when you say they're under a curse? And you know what Paul says? Here's what I mean, as it is written. Y'all notice I'm just reading the verse. Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Quoting Deuteronomy 27:26. what Paul is saying is you are under a curse because the requirement of the law is Perfection. And if you place your confidence in the work of the law to justify you, he says you are under a curse because you can never live up to it. I'm reiterating this so that we don't leave this place placing confidence in the flesh. Y'all, I teach... In biblical spirituality, I teach in church history, and and, and I love the spiritual disciplines. I love the spiritual disciplines as a means of grace, but I do not look to the spiritual disciplines to justify me before God. Are y'all listening to me? I do not look to my efforts or to my works or to my ability to justify me before God because every day I wake up and every day you wake up, you are simultaneously justified, declared righteous, and you are a sinner. You fall short of the glory of God. Are y'all hearing me here? All of us. So that now when we fall into sin, guess what? We know that we are loved by God, and it is the love of God that pulls us out of it within the body of Christ. We we, we say, God, I, 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 I know you, I'm loved and accepted by you based on Christ. Now, God, what I want from you is to deliver me from this pursuit of an unloving posture. Are y'all with me here? You see, the nations will be blessed via their association with Abraham. And Doug Moo is right when he says our incorporation into Christ by faith creates our status as seeds of Abraham. We have been incorporated into Christ by faith. And now our status is that we are seed of Abraham. We are sons and daughters of Abraham. You're of Abraham's seed by what? Faith. Not through biology unless there's some Messianic Jews in the house. And I think we only have one brother who rose his hand years, uh, months ago when I asked that question. But most of us are Gentiles, and that means we are incorporated into this status of Abraham, as Abraham's seed by our faith, not by our biology. Second, let me move. Let me move forward. Let me move forward. I know y'all want to eat. Oh, praise God. I need that elders. See how the elders are. Thank you. They're so loving. I'll take a sip of water. Cheers, brother. But the good news that was announced in advance to Abraham before the law was revealed to Moses is that we are the people of faith and we are accepted fully and completely by God. And if you rely on the law to save you, then you will never become a son or a daughter of God. In fact, you will lose under the curse that he said in verse 10. And we're asking the question, what does it mean to live under a curse? Here's what it means to live under a curse. It's failure to live up to God's standards. We fall short of his glory. Failure to keep his commands. And then in the Old Testament, if they failed to keep his commands, they would lose the land, Leviticus chapter 20, verses 22 through 24. He says you must obey every aspect of this law or you were guilty for all of the laws. I stated in Deuteronomy 27, 26. So Paul is rebuking the fullness of relying on the works of the law to justify yourself before a holy God. Which demands a question. Does that mean? Remember the introduction. Does this then mean that we should think of the law as evil or wicked? Answer, please. No, what it means is we have the proper relationship to the law. We know that the law of God does not get us on the roster. What gets us on the roster is faith in the son of God. We are justified, declared righteous by faith through grace. And so in verse 12 through 14, Paul says the law is not based on faith. On the contrary, it says, the person who does these things will live by them. In other words, they will be perfect. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is risen. Curse is everyone who is hung on a pole. Paul's thinking about the Old Testament again, is he not? Because he knows that the person who's hung on a pole or hanged on a tree, Deuteronomy 22 through 23, he says here being that this means the pole was displayed, it displayed a person who was condemned to death. It was not the means of their death, but it was an individual who had already been condemned to death, and so they placed that individual on the pole so that everyone who walked by would have fear. You do this, this is your lie. Are y'all here? If you, if you experience this capital punishment, you will die, and we're going to put you on a pole so everybody else will remember not to do that. It was not the means to death. It was the means to displaying their sin, which resulted in their death. And so now what Paul does is he takes this Old Testament principle and he says that Christ died on the tree. He came to his death on the cross, but he was cursed for you even though he was not a sinner, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Remember that? Let me, let me read it. Some people might say, no, nah, I don't remember. You're always saying that, preacher. Remember that? Listen to 2 Corinthians 5. 2 Corinthians 5, listen what it says here. It says, talking about the ministry of reconciliation, all is from God who reconciled us to himself through, verse 18, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world through himself, not counting people's sins against them. Why? And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. Why? We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Why? Because God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. Cursed is the man that was hanged on the tree, the pole, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. It is by Christ, his death, his burial, and his resurrection, beloved, we are now called the righteousness of God. Do y'all see this? I know you already know it. But do you see it? Here's how I know when I see it. Here's how I know perhaps when you see it it is when we fall into sin. Does your sin cause you to run away from the cross but to the cross? That's how you know when you see it. Does it cause you to confess your sins before the body of Christ and say, I I, I need your help in order to walk in the newness of life because I know I'm loved and accepted by God, and I believe I'm loved and accepted by you. Will you walk with me? That's when you know. How do you know that God is trustworthy? Here's how you know when he's trustworthy, when you're willing to sit down on his promises and say, God, I'm going to rest in you. I'm not going to live under condemnation because condemnation, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Romans 8.1. Here's how you know when you believe God is trustworthy. You say, I am a child of God because I've been declared righteous by faith through grace of the Son of God. That's how you know I have peace and access to that peace through Jesus Christ, Romans 5.1. So you sit down and you rest because you believe that Christ is trustworthy. So now you're just resting in Christ. It's like, "Mm, oh, Lord, this is good. Now, does that mean, does that mean you're not going to work for Christ? Does that mean that you're not going to labor on his behalf in order to be a minister of reconciliation? No, we just read 2 Corinthians 5. But what it does mean is that when it comes to thinking about the gospel according to Abraham in this section, that it is by faith, not by your works. I think I've said that enough, right? So let's close with this. Since Christ redeemed us in verse 13, it says verse 14, he redeemed us in order that purpose and result. The blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus so that by faith we might receive the promise of the spirit. What is the blessing given to Abraham? I think he's pointing us back to verse five. And I think that the blessing that he's pointed us back to in verse 5, so again, I ask, does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you by the work of the law or by your believing what you have heard? So he's given us the spirit so that we might be able to believe. And I think that the very blessing that God has promised to Abraham and to Gentiles is the gift of the spirit. Are y'all hearing me? That the spirit of Christ now indwells us. Because I'm going to tell you something. If the spirit wasn't whispering to me that still small voice, I'd be like Elijah. Oh, woe is me. I'm by myself. Everybody forsake you. Just kill me, God. Jezebel want to kill me. Everybody's against me. And then God just whispers as we reminded ourselves. He was whispering in that still, small voice. The Spirit is the one who does that. It is the Spirit that starts bringing up Scripture, reminding you who you are in Christ when you have fallen before a holy God and you want to turn back. It is the Spirit that says, hang in there with your marriage. It is the Spirit that says, walk in a way that's honorable unto God, even though you might have attractions that are contrary to what the Bible says. It is the Spirit, beloved that does that. We don't just chuck in the towel, say, oh, this marriage is fine. This marriage is over. We'll still be friends and love one another. I'm like, friends and love one another? Stay married then. Huh? That's like simple. No, no. The Spirit says, no, I'm going, I'm going, I'm going to grind by running to grace and not to myself. Because I can't do it on my own. The promise of the spirit gives us the ability. Because I am yours. And you are mine. Because of Christ. Not because of me. Let Christ motivate you to walk in the newness of life, but ultimately let Christ give you the peace that you are a son and a daughter of Abraham. You are heirs of the promise of God. You are loved.